0: Well, it's a beautiful thing to be here, and you know, this, I'm really looking forward to this Sunday, you know, so invite a friend, invite your family, say I want you to celebrate with me and our church uh, as to what the Lord is doing here, and we're going to do the baby dedication, so I'm excited about that too, Um, but with that, you know, um, God is moving, and I want to let you know that we, and I myself, you know, um, I'm just looking to keep up with what God wants to do, you know, (laughs) God is on the move, and Notice this, I'm not just looking, I'm not just referring to a physical move, we're referring to the move of the Holy Spirit, right, that's the move that really matters, because we can be moving physically, but is the Spirit moving, that's the real question, and I only want to be a part of something where the Spirit of God is moving, right, so we're looking to keep up with Him, uh, the Lord, and, and staying right, hearing His voice, and Uh, The 7th would be our first official Sunday at Calvary Downey as we're transitioning in there with a new vision, new season. But as of today, you know, just seeing how the Lord is working and and speaking, uh, we had a few meetings. uh, The Lord has actually opened up a special time for this group that is here on Wednesday night. (laughs) Because we are going to have a, you know, pre-open house or pre-welcome home on Wednesday night. So next Wednesday night, we will be meeting over there for the first time as a pre-welcome home open house for our Wednesday night group. Can we praise God? Amen. So God is moving things right along, you know, uh, you know it's, and oftentimes we have our own timetable, but God says, put that aside. I have my own timetable, <laughs> and we want to be on His, not ours. Amen. So I'm going to invite you to open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going through the book of 1 Peter. It is so timely. And if you like taking notes, please write this title down. This evening, we're going through the chapter 4, and we've titled today's message, Serving God in the Last Days. Serving God in the Last Days. Now we see that here, Peter is writing to the Jewish believers, to the Christians, that are undergoing suffering. They're being persecuted because of their faith. So Peter writes a letter to them filled with encouragement and filled with hope. Just like the letter that we need, the words that we need tonight for us. Words of encouragement, words of hope, words of of peace... And he's teaching them as to how to respond to suffering. How are we responding to suffering, especially or in light of persecution? It was this week that it was made public of a pastor of Calvary Chapel in San Jose, Pastor Mike McClure, who is facing potential jail time. And his church has now assessed fees up to 1.6. Million dollars this last year for staying open up in San Jose. And the lender of the bank who mortgaged their property has now forfeited their loan, and they have 18 days to find a new bank that will now loan them the money for their property. If this chapter on suffering and Christian persecution is not applicable today, if we don't see it, then I don't know when we will. Because it applies to us right now. And we have to pray for the churches that are standing up for the truth. That are not watered down. Because right now, you know what happens in persecution? And we're going to see it taking place in the years to come. That persecution, what it does, it purifies the church. So that you know between the real and the not real. (laughs) Between what's true and what's false. And I pray that we take persecution seriously because the primary purpose is to purify the church so that the true church of Christ is able to witness and win the lost. You know what happens when we really listen during persecution? We start to evangelize because we're living out our faith the right way. And here what Peter is doing to the church and what he's really instructing the church is he's instructing them how to respond in suffering He's saying, do not trust in earthly government. (laughs) That's an exhortation for the church. Do not trust in earthly government. Trust a heavenly government and put your security and your safety in that. Where is your security or safety? Is it in an earthly government? Who is it in? Where is it found? Because he's teaching us to respond now to persecution or to trials now to respond to it. The Jesus style. What's the Jesus style? In humility. Are you responding in humility? And you know what the key now, not only to humility, but then he goes on further and talks about submission, even in the the midst of suffering. How do you submit when I'm being persecuted? How am I to submit now or to display humility and obedience now in a moment where it's very difficult to submit and really the key of submission during suffering is, is found in one word here, love. Love. That's how you submit. Because submission is a response to love. And in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, he's already told them, we went over it the last week now, to practice in the day that we're living in right now, practice this thing, gentleness. <laughs> Not pride, try practicing gentleness, <laughs> And he says here, practice gentleness in the home, in the marriage. Practice gentleness in the church here, in the assembly or in the gathering. But also church, practice gentleness in the world. Are the Christians practicing gentleness today? Because when you practice gentleness, really what you're doing is you're living a life that displays the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and it's displayed or it's poured out in gentleness. Do you see that? The fruit of the Spirit displayed, poured out in gentleness. And and now know this, with what we are living in, when we correlate to prophecy, when we correlate it to Scripture, we know we're living in the last days. And if you and I believe that we're living in the last days... You're going to make the best use of your time right now. You're not going to waste time. You're going to be serious. And he tells them that in this chapter be serious. Be serious. Because if you're not serious, you're not going to be able to serve the Lord in the days that we're living in. You're going to quit. Are you serious? Are you serious about God? Because somebody that's serious, you know what they desire? They desire to be all God wants them to be, not what the world wants them to be. You know what the world wants to do? The world wants to condition Christians to be like them. And they are bringing their values and they're trying to have them be embedded in the minds of believers. You know what takes place when that happens? You get a lukewarm church. You get a lukewarm church. But in chapter 4 of 1 Peter, you know what he tells them? I want you to live a life that exalts Jesus and nothing else. (laughs) And no one else. Think about that. (laughs) That exalts Jesus and nothing else and no one else. Live a virtuous life. Don't try to be a Christian that's disrupting now, that is interrupting now, that wants attention or bringing attention to themselves. Because a lot of believers right now, you know what they want to do? They want to bring attention to themselves. Because they don't have what they want. Or they didn't get what they wanted. Notice here in 1 Peter chapter 4, they're going through suffering. They're facing persecution through Caesar Nero, who is blaming the burning down of Rome on the believers. And it says this, 1 Peter 4 verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered, speaks of suffering. Every one of us are going through some type of suffering. Suffering. Even right now. Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh or in his human nature, arm yourselves, circle, underline, highlight, arm yourselves, also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this beautiful chapter. This chapter could have not come more timely in our world right now. When you see and we see, Lord, the changes that are taking place around us, Lord, I pray that we would surrender to your plan, not to comfort, but to your plan. You have a plan. And we want to walk in that plan. Lord, I pray for anyone that's going through suffering right now that we would suffer the right way surrendered to you, and that we would live today for eternity, that we would respond and serve for your glory alone. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we said, amen. Now there are three major points that we're going to look at tonight that he now exhorts the believers here in the fourth chapter of First Peter, and he says this, Chapter 1, don't be controlled by the past. (laughs) Don't be controlled by the past. Number 2, be serious about the present. Be serious about the present. And finally, number 3, be prepared for the future. This is a heavy message. (laughs) It really is. In fact, without this chapter, you can't grow. Don't be controlled by the past. Be serious about the present and be prepared for the future. I want to ask you right now, what controls you? What controls you? Your desires, your passions? Are you serious about the things that we're living in right now, or, or is it just the game? And are you prepared for what it looks like to live in the last days? Now notice here it says, as we start to look at the first exhortation, don't be controlled by the past. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his flesh for us, since Christ now suffered in his a physical pain, in his human nature or in his human body, since he suffered for us, Christ being the example, verse 1, arm yourselves with the same mind. <laughs> now you notice that he says arm yourselves. He says arm yourselves giving us a message to be ready to suffer like Christ, be willing to suffer like Christ, but arm yourselves with the same mind is an attitude that we must pursue. Do you have that mind of Christ that he was ready to suffer? In fact, the words arm, it speaks of a soldier that is dressing himself for battle. You're arming yourself. And notice what he says in this attitude. It says, in order to fight a good fight, successfully, you have to take on the mind of Christ. Arm yourself with that mind. It's the mind of humility. And it is almost as a military soldier now, when he puts on his equipment and he prepares himself for battle with this type of mind. A military now attitude that hates sin now, notice this, and exposes it. Arm yourself with this type of mind. Arm yourself with this attitude. Now, did you know that your attitude is, is really is a weapon? And the weak or a wrong attitude will lead us to defeat. What kind of attitude do you have tonight? Because your attitude's a weapon, if you, and if you have a weak attitude or you have the wrong attitude, it's going to lead us to defeat. In fact, it is when Christians are not armed with this mind ready to suffer, ready to fight, ready to go through trial, ready to go through persecution, ready to say no to sin, that they're easily defeated. And he's saying you have to be ready to suffer. You have to be willing, notice here, to sacrifice. To suffer means to sacrifice. You have to be willing to sacrifice because those that refuse to sacrifice will never win in spiritual warfare. We're never winning the battle now. And he says, let this mind be in you that you're going through, go to trials. In fact, Philippians 2.5, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And you know what this mind does to you? It gives you the commitment, like the one that Jesus had, to endure through suffering. Jesus is the example for us to endure through suffering, to be patient in suffering and to suffer. And in fact, notice here in verse 1, as it says, for he who has suffered in the flesh... Or he who has experienced suffering has seized from sin. Now with this he explains that those who serve God in the midst of suffering, now you know what they do? They take on a different attitude towards sin than they previously had in suffering. Because suffering no longer holds a grip on them because what suffering does is it purifies our characters and our motives. In fact, suffering plus Christ in our lives helps us have victory over sin. And this is what he wants them to know. Don't live in the past. Be willing to suffer. Suffer like Christ suffered now. It's not like the the sin is no longer going to be a battle in your life, but it's no longer going to have power over you. It's no longer going to have power over you. Notice verse 2. What does it say? That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men. As you're suffering, as you're obeying the Lord, as you're living in the will of God, notice that he, who's he speaking about? You and I, us, in our nature, no longer should live the rest of his time or the rest of his life in the flesh for his own carnal and fleshly desires. You know, here in verse 2, he gives you the answer. <laughs> this is the answer to sin. Sin. You know what your answer to sin should be tonight? No longer. (laughs) When temptation comes your way for the rest of your life, he says in verse 2, to the Christians that were discouraged, that had no hope, he said, when sin comes your way, your answer should be no longer. Because now you experience your freedom from sin. And just because you're suffering doesn't mean you go back to it. Just because you're going through trials doesn't mean you go back to what you were enslaved to before. And he says this in verse 2, that you no longer should live the rest of his time. The rest of his life now, you should no longer live in the flesh, in the passions, in the carnal desires now. But the rest of your life, you should do one other thing. In fact, it says this in verse 2, but for the will of God. You're either living for the will of the world, for the will of the flesh or for the will of God. And he's encouraging them right here to pursue the will of God, to pursue or to have a holy ambition. No longer live for sin, in fact, pursue a holy ambition. And he's giving them an encouragement to live in holiness during this time. Now, do you notice that not only he says during this time, but for the rest of your life, do not live for sin, live for the will of God. The best place the place that brings you the most joy, the place that brings you the most fulfillment is when you're living in the will of God. That you're living in the will of God, not in the will of the, not what you want, but what God wants. <laughs> you know what the will of God is summarized in one word? Obedience. You can't say you're in the will of God if you're living in disobedience. there's a lot of people today that casually say they're in the will of God, but they're living in disobedience, and it it doesn't work that way. You're not abiding. How could you be in the will of God? In fact, he encourages them so that they continue in obedience. Do you see that in in the life that we're living in right now? We want to finish, well, we want to finish in obedience, in the will of God. Notice verse 3, it says this, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime. You've already wasted enough time in the past. <laughs> but think about your testimony. And oftentimes we look back and we sorrow at how much time we've wasted now doing the will of the world. Following our carnal fleshly desires now that, that godless people enjoy. We did whatever we wanted in sin. In fact, it says it in verse 3, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. You've already spent enough time doing the will or the desire of a non-believer. You think about how many years when we spent in the world, we lived a life as a non-believer doing that which doesn't fear God. You spent enough time. Do not waste any more time. Don't waste any more time. Think about how much time we waste knowing the truth now. And we start to live a life that is very casual and that leads to casualties. Because we're going back to what God delivered us from. You know what that's a life of? That's a life of compromise. So he said, you've already spent enough time in verse 3. In fact, it says this, as a non-believer, when you walked or when you lived, look at the lifestyle that we live now, in lewdness or sexual immorality. This is what he's talking about. Any type of sexual sin. That's what that's what lewdness is, lusts or fleshly desires, drunkenness when you lived in drunkenness, revileries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. (laughs) In one verse, he summarizes the life of an unbeliever. You know what kind of life that is? It's a life that's very wasteful. So he's saying, do not waste any more time. You've already lived a life with no restraint, in sexual sin, following lust, following drunkenness, following these wild parties that are abominable, these idolatries that are unbridled, that are unrestrained, this sin that is so excessive and that you have given yourself over to the indulgences. You know what he reminds them of right here? Don't be controlled by the past. Don't be controlled by the past. Are you being controlled by something that the Lord is trying to free us from? You know what the, fast, the, the past is? The flesh is the past. Sometimes we ask ourselves, what is the past? The flesh, that's the past. What's the present? The spirit is the present. What's the future? The Holy Spirit is the future. Do not be controlled by the past in this shameless behavior that you used to live in that, that went unchecked in a person's life that doesn't fear God. Now live like Christians, don't be double-minded. Do not be double-minded. You see, when we lived in the world, you know what happened? We lived a life that was not accountable to the truth. A life that was unchecked and gave itself over to the indulgences of the flesh and of sin. It was a life that's empty. But notice what he says, do not do that. In fact, now there's been a total transformation already. Have you ever met someone that they were maybe in the world and you just noticed a radical transformation in their life from one day to another? You ask yourself, what happened to that person? (laughs) I remember when we used to go out and do these things and and maybe party or drink and and, and, and the the sin that was taking place. And now that person is saying, no longer. And I don't like that. (laughs) In fact, notice what it says in verse 4. It says, in regard to these, do you remember these behaviors? It says, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. Now, in regard to these practices or behaviors, the world looks at you and they think it's strange now and they don't understand. That we're strange, write it in your Bible, others won't understand. Why don't they understand? Because they have a mind of the world. They don't have the mind of the spirit. And when you say no longer to sin, people will not understand because their mind is still controlled by the flesh. Their mind is not controlled by the word of God. It has not been washed by the now washing of the word of God. In fact, it says those people will think it's strange. They won't understand. In fact, they'll be surprised when you don't run with them in dissipation. What does that mean? They'll be surprised now when you don't plunge in (laughs) Or when you don't run in wild into these destructive things that they do now. Things, notice this, of no eternal value. Think about how many times we did things of no internal value. In fact, notice what the world is going to do. They're going to look at you and they're going to speak evil of you. Or they're going to ridicule you. They're going to make fun of you now. Some people even turn their back on you because you have said no longer to sin. But ask yourself this, especially during suffering and trials, who do you want to please? You want to be a man-pleaser? There's nothing worse than a man-pleaser. I'd rather you call me anything else than a man-pleaser. Because you know what you become? You just become a yes-man. You say yes to the flesh, you say yes to man. And hear what Peter is telling them then, understand that people will turn their back on you. It is oftentimes that the church doesn't want to stand for truth because they're scared about who they're going to offend. (laughs) Are you scared if you offend the holiness of God? That scares me more. In fact, notice this. The people that will ridicule you, it says this. They will give an account. Everyone will give an account. Write that down. They will be held accountable to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. God will judge the living and the dead. Both the righteous and unrighteous. And that word given account means that they are going to have to pay back for their actions. They will have to pay in return all the unsaved. And saved, notice this, the unsaved will be brought before the judge now. And Revelation speaks of the great white throne judgment. And the unbeliever will be brought before that. And the believer will be brought before the beam of seat. And our works will be judged, but the unbeliever will also be judged for the cause of what they did with Jesus Christ their pers- if they accepted him as personal Lord and Savior. What does this tell us in verse 5? That each of us are going to have to face God. You're going to have to face God one day. And those people that maybe ridicule or speak evil of you, they they have to understand that they're going to have to face God, and He stands ready to judge everyone. Nobody is excused now. All the unsaved will be brought before the judge at the great white throne judgment, and therefore we must understand the end result. Who's in control? God is in control. That's when you see things taking place around our world, notice this, God's in control. The government's not in control, God's in control. He has a plan. Our job is just to walk in that plan. <laughs> walk in the plan of God. Notice verse 6, it says this, For this reason the gospel is preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. The gospel has been preached even to those who are dead that are spiritually dead so that they would receive it now and become alive spiritually now. Not only does it say that, but even as you read Scripture, you understand that what did Jesus do as he went even? Some believe that it speaks and gives reference to those that were in Abraham's bosom after he died on the cross, before he resurrected from the grave now, and he went to set captivity captive and set them free. What did Jesus do? He always gave an opportunity for the gospel. And he's here in the first six verses. You know what Peter has told them? Don't be living or do not be controlled by the past. What's controlling you? Is the past controlling you now? Because you know what the Lord wants to do when when, when the past is controlling us? First of all, when the past is controlling you, that means you're living in bondage. And what Jesus wants to do through the power of the Holy Spirit is he wants to set you free. Set you free from sin, set you free from hurt, set you free from pain. He wants to set you free. So first he tells them, live in holiness. But then he says, from verses 7 to 11, I love this exhortation. He says, be serious about the present. You know what the problem is today is that we're not serious. <laughs> and oftentimes we see it, that we're not serious. We don't open our Bible. We don't say no to sin. He says, be serious about the present because the end is coming soon. People don't want to hear that. There's so many times that even we ourselves, and I've heard many times before, where people say, you know what, I don't like hearing the rapture. (laughs) You know what you don't like hearing the rapture as a believer? It's because we have a problem wanting to be able to live out our own plans in our life. I want Jesus to come, but let him come after I get to accomplish these things in life. But what is better than being in the presence of God? Your planner means more to you than eternity? He's saying be serious about the present because the end is near. If you knew the end was near, would you make some radical changes? If you knew that Jesus would rapture his church Tomorrow at noon, what would you do between now and tomorrow at noon? <laughs> some of us would go home and make some radical changes. Well, know this the end is near. Be serious about the present. Notice what he says here in verse 7 but the end of all things is at hand. The rapture and the culmination of the second return of Christ is coming soon now. Be serious. What is he saying, be serious for? He says, be serious, notice this, and watchful. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Be serious about what? Be serious about mortifying all the sinful pleasures in your flesh. Be serious about putting to death those things that don't please God. Be serious about those sinful passions now, putting those things away now in light of the coming of Jesus Christ. When you're serious, you know what you're going to say? You're going to say no to sin. When you're not serious, you're going to compromise. Are you serious? It takes a mature person to be serious. Because those that are not serious, you know what they're doing? They're just fooling around. They're just fooling around and wasting time. And it says this, be serious about saying no to sin, and notice the next exhortation, and watchful. You can't be watchful if you're first not serious. You think about putting someone at a post, a military post, or guarding an area. Would you put someone that is not serious there? Absolutely not. Why would you have someone guard your house who's not a serious person? They're going to let the enemy come in. <laughs> now he's saying, I want you to be serious because it's, take, it's going to take a seriousness about you saying no to sin so that you can also be watchful or sober-minded Sober-minded. What does it mean? Have a steady and clear mind. Watchful means vigilant, alert. Don't be sleeping spiritually. Be watchful now. Notice this. In prayer. Be alert. Do you have a prayer life? Don't be controlled by the past. Be controlled in prayer now. This is the work of the believer in the last days. Notice the work of the believer in the last days. Two things. Serious and watchful in prayer. Let that be in your calendar today, tonight, and tomorrow, and the day after that. Serious and watchful in prayer. Because if you do that, you will do well. You will do well. And notice what he's saying. Be serious about prayer. This is an attitude now because he's teaching them to live in expectancy. And he doesn't want them to be swept by emotions or by their passions and start to drift away. See, when you're serious and you're in prayer, you're disciplined, you're devoted, you're not drifting now. You exercise restraint. You're not impulsive now. And if you really believe that we're living in the last days, he's telling them this now. It's, it's all the more appropriate now that we give ourselves to prayer. You know those people that are really waiting for the Lord are those that are giving themselves over to prayer. If I you ask yourself tonight, When Jesus comes, what will he find you doing? What will he find you doing? Wouldn't it be a blessing if when Jesus came, he found us praying? What will he find you doing now? That's why we should consider prayer rightly and not consider prayer lightly. (laughs) So many times we consider prayer lightly instead of rightly. Readiness for His coming, know what it does? It moves you to prayer now. And when you know He's coming at any time, you should be able to give an answer about why you lived the way you lived. And He's saying, be faithful today in whatever God has given you and have a mind that is fixed now on the return of Christ because a mind that's fixed on the return of Christ is a mind that is constantly being purified. If you never think of the return of Christ, you know what your mind starts to do? It starts to fall in love with the things of this world. Because you're not thinking about heaven, you're thinking about the things of this world. In fact, Versailles says, And above all these things, not only be serious and watchful, notice what he says, above all of these things, you must live this way in the moment of suffering. Have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sin. That's incredible right there. Would you underline that, please, church? Have fervent love. Most importantly, show deep love for each other as Christians while you're suffering. Because love covers a multitude of sin. And you know what a fervent love means? Have a love that is eager. Have a love that is filled with intensity. Have a love that is stretched to the limits now. A love that doesn't stir up sin, but a love that covers a multitude of sin. Have you ever known someone that loves another person, but you know what they do? They're always stirring up the sin of someone's past life. A true love is always ready to forgive. That's what it means to have a love that covers a multitude of sin. Uh, uh, That's a love that is ready to forgive. It's not a love that always brings up the past of someone else's life. You know what a love that covers a multitude of sin does? It accepts and receives people. That's what it does. It accepts and receives people. That's the kind of love that God wants us to have. In fact, it's been said before that love is the badge of the believer. (laughs) What is the badge of the believer? Love. Oftentimes we like to walk around and maybe you have a badge for work, credentials, something. And what is really the badge? It identifies who you are. Now, love, as a Christian, love is your badge. (laughs) Are you wearing your badge? You know what happens when you wear your badge? Love is the badge and you wear your badge. Other people can identify you as a Christian. Because you're wearing the badge. Love is the badge of the believers in the world, especially in times of testings and especially in times of persecutions. Love is the badge. Now notice what happens here. As you're demonstrating love that covers a multitude of sin, and you're not talking openly about another person's past. Now, you know what love also does? Verse 9, it says here, be hospital to one another without grumbling. Love is also demonstrated in hospitality. You know what the kind of hospitality here it says? What kind of love it's talking about? This hospitality is saying, love strangers. (laughs) Don't just love the people you know, love the people you don't know. And receive them now. Hospitality is an act of kindness, is an act of generosity, one to another, without grumbling or without personal with personal sacrifice and without personal agenda. Be hospitable now, love strangers. In fact, it says without grumbling, don't complain about it. Have you ever loved someone, but you're complaining about how much you do for them? <laughs> That's not true love. In fact, he's saying, love them cheerfully. Share your home with them now. With anyone that has a need, without complaining, be available. Are you available? Are you approachable? There's nothing worse than someone that is not approachable. Because no one ever receives loves from that type of person. And he says here, love others cheerfully, with vigilance, with prayer, with love now. Three things, vigilance, prayer, and love. That's the exhortation for today. You know when you're hospital to others? You know what love does? It opens your heart to use the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. And love produces or out of love outflows all the other gifts of the Spirit. Be hospitable. Open your home. Open your heart. Love covers a multitude of sin. Notice verse 10 now. As each one has received a gift, what kind of gift? A spiritual gift. God has given each one of us a spiritual gift. If you're a Christian... And you've given your life to Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit has come into your life. He fills you with peace, joy, eternal life, but He also gives you gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now He says, right now it's the time for you to use your gifts. (laughs) What is the time for? For you to use your gifts right now. Don't just be sitting on the sidelines. Right now, the church needs everyone to be using their gifts, all hands on deck with spiritual gifts. In fact, it says here now, as the Spirit, or as each one has received a gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God's grace was manifested to you and I when He gave us a gift. Listen to this, please, church. God's grace was manifested to you and I when He gave you a spiritual gift. And you know what the spiritual gift is for? It's found in verse 10, it's to minister to one another, not to exalt itself. Minister means to serve one another with his gift. Are you serving one another with the gift that God gave you? Maybe it's helps. Maybe it's teaching. In fact, he uses those examples. Maybe it's administration. Maybe it's the gift of leadership. Are you using your gift today? Because right now in the last days, your gift matters the most. And when you live with an attitude of love, guess what it's going to move you to? To minister to one another with the, uh, the gifts that God has given you. And notice, it's not for self-exaltation. It says this in verse 10, Be good stewards. The steward means be a good manager, a trustee. I'm going to be a good trustee of this gift because I know I'm going to be held accountable on how I'm using my gift in the best interest of the one who gave me the gift. I'm not using the gift in my best interest. I'm using the gift in the best interest of he who gave me this gift. Now I'm going to be a trustee or a now manager of this gift. You see, when you're a trustee, you know what you do? You do and you use and you manage, you steward in the best interest of that and he or she who gave you that gift. In fact, he says in verse 10, use your gift well to serve one another. In fact, verse 11, it says, if anyone speaks, if you have the gift maybe of speaking or of teaching now, notice the encouragement, he says, speak as the oracles or the word or the living word of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He gives examples of two gifts, and both gifts end up the same way, to glorify God who has the power dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now he says, if anyone has the gift of speaking, speak as though, the oracles of God means speak as though God was speaking through you. With the ability that God gave you, not relying on your own strength, Rely on God's strength, but speak as if He's speaking through you. Now notice as he goes on right now, confident, bold, filled with faith, with the ability that God supplies, with the respect and reverence that this is of the Lord now, and that God is glorified through it. Notice he also uses another gift. If anyone ministers. Now, right there, next to the word ministers, I want you to write a very important word. It says helps. A lot of people think, well, I don't know what gift I have. I just like helping. There it is. That's the gift. (laughs) Ministers is another word for helps. Well, I really can't sing. I really can't talk in front of people. I don't think I have the gift of leadership, but I like helping. Well, that's the gift. There's a gift of the Spirit called the gift of helps. In fact, without the gift of helps, the body of Christ would be incomplete. The gift of helps is so important and so necessary. Some of the most encouraging people, some of the most needed people in my life have the gift of helps. And because they have the gifts of helps, notice every other gift is able to function in the body of Christ because of the gifts of helps. In fact, he's saying do it to the best of your ability, do it to the fullest of your capacity. That's what he's talking about. To the fullest of your capacity, don't waste time, invest time by serving the Lord. As I'm suffering as a Christian, you think I should be serving the Lord? There are often times people who tell me, you know what, I have too much going on. I need to step back from the ministry. And there are seasons for that. There are seasons for that. But notice this some of the most beautiful seasons that you learn in ministry are when you're serving through suffering. Because the Christians here were serving through suffering. Paul served through suffering. Peter served through service. Just imagine if Paul said, you know, what, guys, I would keep writing your letter, writing you letters, church, but I keep ending up in jail, so I'm, I'm going to stop. <laughs> I keep getting persecuted, so I think I'm going to stop for a while, and when things get better, then I'll, I'll start to write you some more letters. I'll start preaching the gospel. You know what Paul said in Acts chapter 20? None of the things move me. Because I'm going bound by the Holy Spirit. You know, I know that awaits me in Jerusalem. Trials and tears await me in Jerusalem, and none of these things move me. You may be experiencing trials and tears, but are they moving you? Or are you standing like a pillar on the Word of God? Verse 12, it says, Be prepared for the future. Don't be controlled by the past. Be serious about the present and be prepared for the future. Verse 12, beloved or loved ones, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, (laughs) which is to try you. Would you underline that promise? That's a promise right there. That's one that you want to put on your fridge. (laughs) That's one of the ones you want to put in your room. That's the promise you want to stick in your lunchbox. (laughs) Don't think it's strange, beloved, or loved ones, that you're going through something like it's something unusual, that you're going through trials. That's the life of a Christian. I have a lot going on. Well, what's new? (laughs) That's the life of the believer now. Don't think like something strange or something is off when you're going through trials. In fact, it's here to try you. Notice that it says, which is to try you. It's here to try you. You know what it means to try? It's here to test you. Tests come in two forms. They come in trials or they come in temptations. Temptations come from the devil to bring the worst out of you. Trials come by the Holy Spirit to bring the best out of you. Now you notice that. Don't think it's strange. There's a trial. It's here to try you. But notice here in verse 12, it says here now, the fiery trial. You know why it's a fiery trial? Because it can get hot. (laughs) But fiery, it speaks now almost of a fiery furnace. It's, it speaks of intense heat now that burns away the impurities in your life. You know what happens when you're going through the fiery seasons? It's burning away the impurities of your life now. Almost as of burning away the impure metals. When metal is sticked into the fire now or into the furnace, when the Christian is suffering now, it proves their true character. And it, it, it purifies. It's a refining process. When you're going through the fiery trial, you know what you've entered? The refining process. The refining process. And as Christians, we should not only think it's strange, don't think it's strange. In fact, you should expect trials. Oh, God wants to use your life? Expect trials. You gave your life to Jesus Christ? Expect trials. You sign your name to serve in the ministry? Expect trials. And not only should you expect trials, but number two, here's the important one. You should be prepared for them. Don't only expect them, prepare for them. How do you prepare for them? You prepare for them in prayer. Spiritually prepare for trials. You know what that makes you? Durable. Durable. In fact, there are four reasons that he tells us right here in the next few verses as we read them, that he says, number one, when it comes to trials, expect trials. Rejoice in trials, number two. (laughs) Evaluate, why are these trials taking place? Are they taking place because I'm being obedient? Or are they taking place because I'm out of the will of God? <laughs> Evaluate the cause of trials and finally, entrust your life or entrust the trial to God. Because of the difference between suffering for Christ's sake and suffering because of your own desires. Two different things. Two different things. You can be suffering because you are obedient. And you're also going to be suffering because you're being disobedient. (laughs) Now notice what he says this as we continue. And it says here in verse 12 and 13, but rejoice. Here's the first one. Not only should we expect it, verse 12, but the second reason is that we should rejoice in trials. Be happy to the extent or for the reason that trials allow you to be a partner with Jesus Christ. Now notice how in verse 13 it says, to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceedingly joy. Why can you and I rejoice in trials because they make us partners in Christ's sufferings? I get to suffer just like Christ suffered? I get to partake of the sufferings of Jesus Christ now? What What did Paul tell the church in Philippi? Not only that you would know Him through the power of His resurrection the power of the resurrection, but in the fellowship of His suffering. How do you know Him? Those two words, know Him. (laughs) You want to know Him? By walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, but also in the fellowship of His suffering. That's how you know Him. Because you know how to deny yourself. He's teaching us how to suffer. And He says here in verse 13, that when His glory is revealed, you will also be glad with exceedingly joy. What's going to happen when his glory is revealed when we see the Lord face to face He's going to turn suffering into glory He turns suffering into glory now Suffering is part of the Christian experience until Christ returns and it allows you to deny yourself carry your cross follow him In fact, oftentimes and it's hard for us to accept this, a tough pill to swallow, but suffering is a suitable tool that God uses to teach his children you think about how many ways you learned with something that was unpleasant. Well, You're submitted to God, and you're obeying God. Suffering is a tool to teach you to know Him, to know Him. You know the people that know Him the most are the ones that have experienced and endured some suffering. They know Him. In fact, it says in verse 14, If you are reproached or insulted now for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of the glory, and if God rests upon you, on their part, He is blaspheming, but on your part, He's glorified. You know, if you're being ridiculed or insulted because of the name of Jesus Christ, praise God for that type of opposition. Don't, don't, don't find it a shame that, that others are turning their back on you because you're following the Lord. In fact, what, the only thing that proves is that the Holy Spirit and His presence is on your life. I would be more concerned when everybody loves you and everybody likes you, everybody approves of you, because that means that you're just there pleasing everyone. But if others start to dislike or not approve of the decisions that you're making to follow Jesus Christ, notice, what does it prove? It proves that the Spirit of God is upon you. That's what it's saying. Because you're following the Spirit. Notice it says this in verse 14 now. Blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God is resting upon you. You're truly following the Spirit of God. You're empowered, you're anointed, you're being now blessed, and it brings great reward in the next life is the presence of God is evident in your life. The presence of God is evident. And on their part, those that offend you, on their part, they're blaspheming in the Lord. They're rejecting Him. But on your part, you know what you're doing when you're you're following the Lord instead of man? You're glorifying Him. Now notice here in verse 15. But let none of you suffer. (laughs) This is important. As a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's business. (laughs) Well, some of us think, well, I'm suffering. Well, your suffering because it's your fault. (laughs) You're suffering because of sin. Let none of you in these days be suffering because of murder, which is anger and hate in your heart. It can be that as well. For being a thief, for doing evil, or a busybody in other people's business. You know what he's saying here? Oftentimes, the reason why you're suffering is because you're involved in something that you shouldn't be involved in. Mind your own business. That's what he's telling them. In fact, the word busybody, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about a a revolutionary, disruptive activity or person that is interfering with the function and the flow, specifically here in this context of the government now or a troublemaker. Why are you over there trying to start a revolution? Live, a, live and lead a quiet life. That's what the word of God says. And mind your own business. Don't be a busybody. Don't be doing things that God didn't call you to do. Don't suffer because of these things. This is the wrong type of suffering. This is suffering for disobedience. In fact, verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, look at that, as a Christian, not as a thief, not as a murderer, not, not as an evildoer, but as a Christian. You're suffering for Christ. You're suffering for the will of God. Notice it says there, as, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify or glorify God in this matter. What a privilege to suffer as a Christian. You can associate me as a Christian because I said no to sin, because they sin no longer, and now I'm suffering, or, or we're, you, you see injustice in your life? an unfair treatment because you follow Christ, an unjust treatment at work, with friends, with family. Don't be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. What an honor. What an honor that you get to be associated to Christ that much that someone's willing to treat you different. What an honor. think about it. What an honor that you're associated as a true follower of Christ and it's bringing an impact on other people. In fact, let's read here verse 17 through 19. For the time has come. Notice this. Are you prepared for the future? The time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Judgment is not going to begin in the world. It's going to begin in the house of God. In the house of God. Oftentimes we want the world to judge we want the Lord to judge the world? Notice this. Yes, the Lord will judge the world, but the Lord will also judge his bride, his church. In you know other words, right here, judgment means to purify the church with the loving hand of God. And it says this, and it begins with us. <laughs> God wants to purify your life today. It begins with us first. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Judgment is coming, and it starts in the house of God. And it begins with us, consistently refers to the evaluation of the believer's work, how you're behaving. But if judgment is going to come to purify the church, what's going to happen to those that are not obeying the gospel, that are living in disobedience? What will happen in verse 18? It says, now if the righteous one is scarcely saved... Or if the righteous one has to go through trials and tears and suffering, notice this where then or where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? What will happen to the one that is living in sin? What is the end result of a person that is living in disobedience? That's coming out of Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13. If the godly have to suffer on their way to eternity, what do you think is going to happen? What is the end result of the ungodly? What is the end result? And finally, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. Notice, suffer the way Christ wants you to suffer. Not by emotions, but sober-minded. Not being swayed. Not being led emotionally. Not wanting to give up. Not wanting to quit. Not drifting away because you're going through a trial. Not blaming it on someone else. Not excusing yourself because you're going through a trial. Notice, Suffer in the will of God. Notice this. Let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. The word commit is a very powerful word. It means entrust your life. That we know of as deposit. Almost as you're going to a bank and you're depositing something of value. Deposit your life into the safest place, and that's the hand of God. That's what it means to commit. Are you committing it to the Lord now? To the Lord as He is a faithful creator now? Why do you commit yourself to the Lord as a faithful creator? You know how you commit yourself? You commit yourself to the Lord as a pliable clay in the hands of the potter. Lord, I don't understand what's taking place right now. But I'm committing it to you, Lord, because I know that you are the creator. You know what the word creator means? I know that you're in charge. I know that you're in charge. And because you're in charge, you do what ultimately pleases you, but you do what ultimately is best for me. I'm going to say that again. He does what ultimately pleases him, and he does what ultimately is best for you. Notice this. When you're suffering in the will of God, our faithful Father and Creator will victoriously see us through. I want to leave you with two things. When it comes to the trial, the temptation to disobey, and suffering. Number one, he never gives us more than we can handle. (laughs) Man, you're probably going, there's no way this temptation is taking place. This trial is taking place. He never gives you more than you can handle. 1 Corinthians 10.13. God always makes a way of what? Escape. He makes a way. You don't have to compromise. You don't have to compromise. And number two, he does always have a good purpose. God has a good purpose. Romans eight twenty eight. We know that all things work together for good. To those who love God and those are called according to his purpose, I'm walking in his plan. So those things that are coming, going around me, notice what you can say. They don't move me because I'm in the plan. Are you in the plan? Or do these things move you? What is it that we want to learn and receive this evening, tonight, before we even go? Is that we should not be controlled by the past. We should be serious about the present, and we should be prepared for the future. Let's go ahead and pray right now. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is true.